I'm Jay Clark with Clark Ranch in Brownwood, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Great to be back with you once again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we grow a lot of sorghum here in Texas, and it may be a good choice, especially this year in the middle of a drought. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With input costs high, it's already hard for Texas High Plains cattle feeders to make a profit. And it may be about to get even harder. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Food security in America and a strong farm bill as the war between Russia and Ukraine continues. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have comments from a West Texas congressman on the situation on Texas Ag Today. It's a little warm in May in Texas this year. We're going to talk about the effect of heat on plants in the spring. Please join me, John Begno, as we discuss gardening in Texas. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Texas sorghum producers are expected to plant 1.7 million acres this year. That's down from 2.1 million last year. But Texas High Plains farmers like Cody Carson find that sorghum provides a lot of benefits in drought years like this. In my history, I have tried anything that I said if it's legal and ethical and might make a dollar, I've probably tried to grow it. Uh, But from South Dakota to South Texas in the Plains states with our amount of moisture, you know, the sandier soils are very conducive to dryland cotton. Uh, you get north of me, and uh, the dryland wheat catches a little more winter moisture, a little more snow cover, and seems to work. Right in my part of the world, it, it's it's uh, looking a little bit like no man's land right now. But I think I can take a uh, wheat cotton sorghum rotation and uh, use the the sorghum to to build some biomass both above and below the soil surface. Uh, some cotton. That anytime I've planted cotton following sorghum, I'll make a half belt acre more if we have decent moisture. Uh, and it also the sorghum also gives a great wind protection for the cotton. Texas sorghum planting is now 73% complete, according to this week's Crop Progress and Condition Report. But the sorghum crop conditions aren't all that good. The crop is currently rated 11% good to excellent, 48% fair, and 41% poor to very poor. With a global food shortage growing, grain markets are encouraging farmers to plant more acres. And one source of those acres could be expiring Conservation Reserve Program land. U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says there are about a million acres of expiring CRP land that could be planted. 
CRP, but about a million acres or so is coming out of that program. Uh, we are looking at ways in which we can uh, expand the number of uh, counties and areas where, where double cropping is possible. Uh, we're going to allow uh, folks to uh, to get in the fields a little bit sooner with the CRP acres that are coming out of the program. There are about 3 million acres of CRP land in Texas currently enrolled in the program. The new cotton classing office in Lubbock is just about up and running with USDA Lubbock classing office area director Danny Martinez and his team currently moving into the new facility located on the Texas Tech University campus. The new classing facility was designed with conservation in mind with recyclable materials used throughout the building and a -a one-of-a-kind HVAC system specifically engineered to make the most efficient use of energy. The new classing office intends to have a grand opening coming up in August. Texas cattle feeders are struggling to make a profit right now, and James Hunt says it may get even harder. With fed cattle continuing to sell for around $1.40 a pound in the cash market, Brady Miller of Texas Cattle Feeders Association says payments received are right around the break-even line. That means some cattle are generating profits, but others are winding up in the red. However, Miller says with feed grain costs historically high, current trends suggest cattle that are just now going into feed yards could be heavy losers when they are ultimately sold five or six months from now. Feeders are costing quite a bit, so by the time you put the uh, inputs and the feeder costs all in there, replacing an animal today, if you put one in a feed yard today, they're actually at the $100 to $150 loss area. So it is super important that if you're running the feed yard that you're looking for the good deals and you're trying to manage your feed costs as much as you can and uh, input costs. And so you can try to back up these animals so they end up at least breaking even or making a little bit of money. In the meantime, inventories remain high in feed yards located in TCFA's three-state membership area of Texas, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. Miller says TCFA estimates there are currently 3.2 million head in those yards, about 2.8 percent above a year ago. However, although the culling of cows continues in large numbers, Miller says there are signs of moderation. I've been traveling the last couple of weeks and had the opportunity to travel east of Wichita Falls and Vernon and over into East Texas, and it was green. I'm not going to tell you it was perfect, but thank goodness that there is some rain falling in a few places because if I had to guess, that is one of the primary reasons why we're starting to see the cow harvest number dip just a tad. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The ongoing war in Ukraine continues to affect agriculture here in America and around the world. Tom Nicoletti visits with a Texas congressman about that issue. The Russia-Ukraine war has certainly impacted world markets, from energy to food supplies. West Texas U.S. Congressman Jody Arrington previously sat on the House Agriculture Committee. He is now a member of the House Ways and Means Committee as he explains how the war is affecting America's farmers and ranchers. Well, a big part of the uh, food supply with respect to wheat is coming out of the breadbasket of Europe, which is Ukraine and Russia. And I suspect that we're going to see further spikes in food prices. We're also going to see shortages and probably people that will be literally starving on account of what's happening over there. So now, more than ever, we need to get the policies right in our country, both on the energy side, ag side, pro-growth 
policies that we did when we reduced the tax burden, regulatory burden, and had more free and fair trade deals. This is the time for America to step up and encourage and support through policy our farmers meeting this new demand that, that has certainly been significantly disrupted by the invasion, unprovoked invasion of Ukraine by Russia. So it's serious. Maybe there are a lot of people in this country from the urban areas, the population centers, that don't think about food security as much as we do in West Texas and other rural parts of the country. But I guarantee you, when the food prices go up, people are thinking about these things. So we need to use that to set the table for a good, strong farm bill and other policies that will support agriculture. That is West Texas Congressman Jody Arrington. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The summer heat has come early this year, and horticulturalist John Begno says that will affect gardening. Well, I don't have to tell you that early May and mid-May is a little warmer than it was last year. Last year, we refer to as almost the perfect spring in most of Texas. Had cooler temperatures. We had moisture in most of the state. And plants really responded by rapid early season growth. Well, quite the opposite this year. And it couldn't have come as at a worse time for a lot of plants. If you think about it, many plants put on most of their growth in spring live oak trees, a lot of other native Texas plants put on this rapid growth. And then that's pretty much what you see for the season. So when you get elevated temperatures, let's say it's 100 degrees plus in the air temperature, you can add 20 to 30 degrees on leaf temperatures and stem and even trunk temperatures. It's especially hard on newly planted plants like trees that we might have planted in January and February are going to struggle a little bit. And one of the reasons the struggle is the demand for water. As leaves develop in the spring, they're pulling water and nutrients from the soil through the root system. And if everything is not working right and exceptionally hot, then you might have a little transport issue where you're not getting as much water to cool those leaves. We're seeing some leaf scorch. We're seeing where plants are not pollinating as well as they should. Take pecan trees. If you have low humidities, and by the way, in San Angelo, we had 13% humidity. Now, that's really low for a spring or a May day, and that can make pollen dry out and affect crops. So we're going to see some results of this heat spell affect us later on in the year. Remember a couple of things that you can do. Mulch your beds. Make sure that you have two to four inches of an organic mulch covering the ground. That keeps it cool, keeps it moist efficiently. These plants can absorb water and transfer it better. Lawns, deep water these lawns. Don't do light, frequent applications. Adjust your your timer so that it's once or twice a week and it waters deeply, and that will encourage deep-rooted plants. This is John Begner reporting from San Angelo. Axis deer are an invasive species that can have an impact on our native white-tailed deer. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And some commercial dog food may contain too much copper. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. 
Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-size weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Some commercial dog food may contain too much copper. Dr. Bob Judd says this can cause some serious problems. Excessive copper can increase the risk of liver disease, especially in certain dog breeds. Dr. Sharon Center is an internal medicine specialist at Cornell and she indicates in the AVMA Journal that chronic consumption of copper can lead to copper-associated hepatopathy. Signs of the disease include abdominal swelling, decreased appetite, diarrhea, increased thirst, and urination, jaundice or yellowing of the skin, lethargy, and vomiting. Diagnosis of the disease can be difficult, as blood tests can tell your vet the liver is abnormal, but it requires a biopsy to determine there is excessive copper in the liver. Treatment is very expensive, and affected dogs must eat a copper-restricted diet. It was thought that copper-associated liver disease was only a problem for certain breeds, like Dobermans and Labrador Retrievers, but it can be a problem for any dog. A recent article indicates the copper concentration has risen in dogs during the last 20 years, and this can lead to inflammatory disease in dogs. At this point, dog foods only have a minimum requirement for copper and not a maximum, But Dr. Center believes this should be changed and an upper limit of the amount of copper allowed in the diet should be required on the label. The current copper levels were to guard against deficiency, but dog foods in Europe have now become subject to copper limits. The Food and Drug Administration Center of Veterinary Medicine is the government agency that controls dog food label requirements, and they are studying the scientific literature. The FDA indicates they have received some reports of diets with excessive copper linked to liver disease in dogs. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Axis deer are not native to Texas, but there is a part of the state where they are everywhere. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. In the 1930s, a South Texas landowner imported Axis deer from India. Now, 90 years later, the invasive species population has grown outside of high-fenced operations, and researchers are trying to get a better idea of how many Axis deer are in the junction area so they can use that data to better manage the now free-ranging Axis deer population and their negative impacts on the environment. Dr. Matt Buchholz from Texas Tech University says the Axis deer population has grown to the point that herds of several hundred are not uncommon in the junction area. Axis have a really high reproductive ability. They can have a fawn every nine months. Fawn survival is thought to be very high, potentially in the 70 to 80 percent range. And to put that in reference, whitetail fawn survival is heavily correlated with precipitation. But a good year of whitetail fawn survival, maybe 40 percent. Axis deer also tend to live longer. One negative impact of a growing Axis deer population is the competition with native whitetail deer. 
Axis are socially dominant to whitetail and will displace them from high value sites such as optimal habitat. Dr. Buchholz and Blake Leslie from the Lana River Field Station are looking for ranchers in the junction area who are willing to allow them access to their properties to conduct spotlight surveys to determine the number of access deer in the area. Interested landowners can contact Blake Leslie at the Texas Tech University campus in Junction. We'll have more on this on our next show. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Livestock, cotton, and grains have all been under pressure the last couple of days. So how did the market trade wrap up on Thursday? Jessica will be back to take a closer look at all of Thursday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Break out your camera and snap a pic for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. You or someone you know can share your best photo with the entire Lone Star State and maybe win some cash, like $250 for first place, $200 for second place, and $100 for honorable mention. The contest is open to Texas Farm Bureau members or an immediate family member. Rural settings and lifestyles are the preferred themes for all submissions and contestants are limited to one entry per person. Top four winners will be selected and published in the July edition of Texas Agriculture and the summer edition of Texas Neighbors. Snap your pick now for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. The entry deadline is June 1st. Visit TexasFarmBureau.org for complete contest rules. That's TexasFarmBureau.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Uncertainty in the corn markets and grains, for the most part, trading higher, impacted both our live and feeder cattle markets on Thursday. June live cattle were even at 131.50. August live cattle up 32 cents to 132.02. May feeder cattle were down $1.72 to 154.12. August feeder cattle down 60 cents to 165.20. Box beef was mixed Thursday. Choice up a dollar to 261.47. Select down 5 cents to 245.97. Now let's check our livestock auctions. Here's walking the pens. I'm your host, J.R. Gully, and for Larry Marble. We talked with Ken Jordan of Jordan Cattle Auction, Mason, and San Saba. Ken reported a large number of cattle sold at the Mason cattle sale this past Monday. We right had at 1,800 head of cattle today, a very choice offering. Had about, I think, 400 and something cows, rest of them all calves and yearlings. I thought overall the market opened up this week very good demand on very good activity as a whole. I thought the stock steers probably sold five dollars higher today. Had a group of ten steers weighed four oh seven at a buck ninety a pound. Had several five weights on up to a dollar seventy or so, seventy five a pound of some really strong condition cattle and some wean cattle. I thought the stalker heifers they sold probably right at steady to maybe two or three dollars higher. Feeder steers probably sold three dollars higher also. And I thought overall the feeder heifers sold fully steady. Packer cows and bulls, I thought 
overall sold steady too on good active trade. Pears and bread cows didn't have very many young ones today, so really not a lot to test on on those. But overall, very good sale. It ran very smooth today and a lot of activity. Good deal. Now, I understand the sale in San Saba this Thursday. You're going to start with the Packers at 10 o'clock. Yes, it is. We're going to start the next several weeks now while these runs are big. We're going to go ahead and start at 10 o'clock. That way we'll get those Packer cows on up and into the sale and everything. And, and then uh, we do have a special offering of about 20 Angus bulls, 25 Angus bulls are going to be there. And then we got several deals of pairs, some first calf, second calf, some really good fall. Kevin, four-year-old Herford cow is going to be there. Several deals of Brangus cows. And we're going to run that at 1130. That is Ken Jordan of Jordan Cattle Auction, Mason and San Saba. This has been Walking the Pins from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm J.R. Gully in for Larry Marble. Good day. June lean hogs down 80 cents to 105.30. July lean hogs down $1.55 to 106.97. We saw increases in the Class 3 milk prices on Thursday after a report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture that milk production declined in April. May Class 3 milk up 13 cents to 25.11. June Class 3 milk up 18 cents to 24.75 a hundredweight. July cotton up 323 points to 147.70. October cotton down 108 points to 134.97. December cotton down 96 points to 128.22. July corn up one and three quarters to 783 and a quarter. September corn down two and three quarters to 750 and a half. December corn down four and a quarter to 736 even. July hard red winter wheat down 29 and a quarter to 1295 and a quarter. September hard red winter wheat down 28 to 1299 even. June natural gas was down 13 cents Thursday to 823. July natural gas down 13 cents to 832. Oil prices recovered from some losses that we saw earlier this week. According to Reuters, Brent and U.S. crude rose by $5 in just a few hours on Thursday. Reuters reported that oil prices did rebound in part due to a weakened dollar. June crude oil up $2.88 to $112.47. July crude oil up $2.96 to $110 even. The Dow down 76 points to 31,413. The S&P 500 up one point to 3,927. The NASDAQ up 66 points to 11,484. Well, that's it for our look at the markets and that's it for this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.